La pendule fait tic-tac, tic-tic. Les oiseaux du lac, pic-pac, pic-pic. Glou, 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 font tous les dindons. Et la jolie cloche, ding-ding-dong. Mais boum, quand notre Hey, bonjour, my rugby friends. Et bonjour, Mike. Bonjour, bonjour. Comment allez-vous? Ça va bien, merci. Très, très bien. <rire> Beaucoup, beaucoup de français, you know, beaucoup. <laughs> well, welcome to episode 6 of the French Rugby Connection, the rugby podcast with a garlic twist. And a little bit of Welsh twist, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> so on this postcard, Sir Michael and I will talk about the latest French rugby news. And uh, actually, I think, you know, we might want to play La Marseillaise for Bernard Laporte again. <laughs> so, Mike, was it a surprise for you that Bernard Laporte had been re-elected? Re well, look, nothing Bernard Laporte does surprises me. <laughs> I mean, he was um, he was odds on favourite to lose this election. I know um, he won it with 51% of the vote, but his opponent, Florian Grill, was led to believe he was going to have a landslide victory. And in fact, he demanded a recount, A, because the, uh, the vote was so close, and B, I think, because he didn't believe it. But, um, you know, this is Bernard's, right up Bernard Street, this is. I mean, you only got to look at the... Rugby World Cup um, host nation uh, incidents, um, and you know, I don't know what he does, but um, you know, he, this is just up his street. He manages to win these close things, and uh, we've got another four years. So um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what what happens now. So I have to say, you know, I raise my heart. You know, he's he's very very tenacious. That's that's for sure. Uh, well, no, in England, a... in England, we call him Mr. Teflon because, you know, Teflon, the non-stick pans, nothing, nothing sticks to him, you know, anything that happens. <laughs> yeah, but what, what we have to say is that, you know, he's got that, that passion, you know, uh, that yeah. tenacity, you know, for French rugby. And here we are for another four years. And that means that uh, Fabien Gatier will stay there for four for a bit longer than, than a few months. Yeah, so. maybe, maybe we can have a reunion in Burnley, you know, play a few songs, you know, in some little Parisian nightclub somewhere when they reopen. And, yes. Uh... <laughs> On the 24th of October, when you go back in Paris, when you go in Paris to see uh, Wales versus, uh, no, France versus Wales for the... Uh, prep uh, game or maybe on the 31st of October I believe that's the one you are planning to go well it's all up in the air now because you know if I come back I'd have to self-isolate for 14 days so you know both both games are up in the air and of course there's still this ongoing caucus with the LNR who run French club rugby and French federation over releasing players for for the Wales game uh, they're hoping for an agreement today but but they didn't get one And it looks like it's going uh, into a legal process now. So um, the match very much up in the air, certainly with regard to, to top 14 players taking part. Yes, yeah, 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 yes. It's uh, it's kind of a uh, muddy right now, but I read the same as well. You know, it was supposed to be two days. Hopefully within the next few hours, we might hear something. Yeah. You know, but uh, anyway, so today again, we review the, and we preview the games for top 14. The Autumn Internationals or Eight Nation, or some people li uh, like calling them. And uh, French lesson for you. Oh. And I hope you, you will not uh, cheat this time going on Google Translate. <laughs> <laughs> did you cheat, did you say? And I'll finish off with one rugby joke, and I hope uh, you have one. For oh, me yes, as well. I've got a very special French one in retaliation for last week. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. Anyway, Autumn International. So, um, latest hot of the press, Monsieur Fabien Gatier and Raphaël Benitez announced the new squad earlier um, today from Marcoussi. And uh, great news from some uncapped players. There are some five new ones um, that will play for, for, for France, such as Colombe uh, from Racing. And uh, I think I've got 
Tolafua from Toulouse, another, correct, another one. Yeah, yes. Arthur Retire, I'm pleased to see in the La Rochelle winger who's been, you know, one of La Rochelle's stars for, for quite a few years now. So it'd be great to see him get a run out. Yes, no, it's, it's doing doing well, you know. So they're bringing some new blow yeah. to the squad because one, what, what we mustn't forget is that it's still a, a work in progress because uh, Fabien Gatier has been in the post, you know, for the yeah, last 10 yeah. months and it's, it is his fifth official game. Yeah. So it's a, it's a testing time, but they are very very keen and you know what it's going to make you feel really really old but Mike but... <laughs> oh yeah it doesn't take much but you know what but, you know... looking at this side I mean it shows how you know we forget how young this side is 17 of the squad have got 10 caps or less so it shows how inexperienced it is and the most cap player is Bernard LaRue who's got 41 caps so you know it's still very much a young inexperienced squad and bringing further new players in, you think it'd be interesting to see how, how it all maps out. Yes, yes, absolutely. And you know what? Actually, the average of um, selection in the Libre squad is 13. And the average age for players is, watch this space, say, say a figure. It must be young, 24. Yes, you read my No, I didn't yes. honestly. That was just a wild guess. It was just a wild guess. Yeah, 24 wow. years old. And the and the grandpa, the grandpa of uh, of the squad is Bernard Leroux at yeah. the grand old age of 31 wow, years old. Oh gosh, how old? How old is that? 31, yeah. I can't imagine. Chim Ch yes, Damien Penno, he's injured, of course. He wasn't um wasn't included in the squad, which is a big shame. Very talented winger, but you know, what was the door for Brothers, Teddy Tomar is back in. Yes, yeah, that's right. But just to, to recap, you know, the uncapped players, to recap on the uncapped players, that's quite yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got uh, Colomb, Clemenzac, Gerasi, Tolofua, that we mentioned, yeah. and, and Rotier. Yeah. So in terms of, uh, of team players, so yes, you are absolutely right. You know, we've got uh, Teddy Thomas, who is replacing um, a Peno yeah. because he's been, he was injured in training, I think, just okay. before the game last week, last Friday, yeah. which is very, very unfortunate because I think he would be out for between eight and ten weeks. Yeah. Um, so we'll have the usual suspect, you know, we'll have uh, Bomba, Demba, um, Cyril Bay, Kamisha, Colombe, Colombe, uh, Jean-Jean-Yves Colombe, who is um, very much, I don't know whether you saw him, he's playing for Racing yeah, Retro, yeah. He's, he's playing really, really well. He's very big guy. Yeah. He's, you know, you know what, he's, he's probably three times my, my, nearly three times my weight. Wow. He's one, 135 kilos. Are you sure about that? And he's, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm about 50 kilos something. Okay. You know, um, so 135 kilo and one meter 93. So can you imagine? Yes. It's, it's even bigger than Big than, than Vunipola, you know. So wow. Like a tank, you know, landing on you. Can you wow. imagine? Gosh. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what's nice to like see, a... Jalibert in, that, in one of the fly half positions along with um, and Tamak. Because Jalibert's been playing really, really well for Bordeaux. You know, particularly in that first half against Bristol in, in the Challenge Cup, he was really outstanding. So um, it'll be great to see him back because when he made his French debut, he had a really bad knee injury and, and was out of action for quite a while. So it'd be lovely to see him get, get a run out. He was absolutely magnificent during you know, the first yeah, half yeah. Uh, against Bristol. Uh, I recall really, really well. But uh, yeah, so Jalibert's back. Uh, we have also, you know, the usual suspect, Romain Tamac, uh, uh, Antoine Dupont. Antoine Dupont is very pleased and to tweet this morning saying, hey, guys, happy to see you again. Yeah, if ever there was a guy, <laughs> only... you, you certainly would have <laughs> certainly nailed his place in, in the French team, hasn't he? I think his selection was was not in any doubt whatsoever. Absolutely. Correct. Probably the best scrum half in the world in the... at the moment, I think. Yeah, and he had a good time. I think they had a good time last night because last game they played. No, not the last game. The the one before they played against Scotland. I think they won. Uh, they played against Wales, and I believe. Oh, thanks, uh, thanks for reminding me. I forgot Wales. all about. I've only just got. 
so anyway, so it's very positive. So I think there is lots of excitement, you know. Uh, obviously, you know, um, uh, they they were asked about the political situation with Bernard Laporte re-election, yeah. and. Uh, and uh, Fabien Gatier said, you know, it's water under the bridge yeah. now. You know, we are focusing on uh, being in the top three in the world, um, in the world ranking, and obviously, you know, winning the World Cup in 2023, which, which is a strong possibility. Yeah. Talking of which, um, the World Cup draw has been announced, hasn't it? Yes, that's right. Uh, December the 14th, I think, wasn't that right, in Paris? Yeah. Yeah, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Will you be there? Oh, who knows? I'd like to be, you know, but uh, there again, it all depends on uh, what Boris Johnson decides. He seems to be running my life at the moment, so I better... Really? Lucky you. <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it, the, the ranking system, because um, mm. they've gone back to the rankings um, as they were at the 1st of January, which um, I know this is a French podcast, but me being Welsh... This is great news for Wales because Wales have had such a bad run lately. Um, mm-hmm. In January, they were ranked fourth, but they dropped right out of uh, the top top four. So they would have had a they wouldn't have been in the top band of seeds for the draw. But as this has been backdated to the first of January, they're now in the top band, the top seeds, uh, who are South Africa, New Zealand, England, and Wales. So. It means that those four teams can't face each other, which is brilliant news for Wales. Because then in the second group, you've got Ireland, Australia, France and Japan. Yes. And the third group, you've got Scotland, Argentina, Fiji and Italy. And then there are bands four and five, which which we based up of the qualifiers from... Oceania, Europe, the Americas, Asia, etc. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a fascinating draw in... Uh, it says the iconic Palais Brog, Brognia, Brongia, Brognia. Yes, it's quite a mouthful. It's, do, do, do you uh, know that building? Somewhere, not no, really, not no. really. But I'm sure it must be uh, in a very no, nice place be, in, yeah, in Paris. Nice, you always get nice canapes when you go to French rugby things, so I hope I can go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about French too, so... You know, the train? Oh, yes. Yeah. Remember that music oh, yeah. again? This week, they were in La Rochelle on Monday, Tours on Tuesday, Wednesday in Brittany, in Rennes, Yoo-hoo! <laughs> seven uh, Le Havre, in Le Havre, in Normandy, and um, tomorrow, I mean, on the Friday, they would be in Vannes, and this weekend, 9 and 10, and they're finishing off in Stade de France, Paris Saint-Denis, on Tuesday, oh, okay. Tuesday, 12th okay. of October. Yes, so... Uh, yeah, it's been a very good, um, very good opener. You know, it's about you know get gaining the art and minds, yeah. and obviously, you know, the aim is to lift that trophy, the famous, you know, William Welps Ellis. Uh, so yeah, it's it's up for grab. Yeah, you know, this, England could have could have lifted this year. Yeah, South Africa. Yeah. Shame, you know, wasn't it? Was such a shame. <laughs> Oh, I won't say anything, but I think it's turned four for four. Yeah. I think, well, you know, no. this young side, you know, it's to have another couple of years' experience. If they can maintain, you know, maintain the squad and develop, I think they're going to have a really, really good chance. And of course, France organised these tournaments so well. I mean, I was fortunate enough to go to some of the matches in the Football World Cup in 1998. You know, and, and the tra- and the yes. travelling and you know, the way it's organised, the French do this brilliantly, plus usually get decent weather. So, and, you know, hopefully, God willing, after COVID, hopefully we'll all be able to congregate, you know, in full stadiums and, and use this tournament as a, as a celebration of, of rugby and life. It'd be, be brilliant, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah. 2023, hopefully, will be a, want to be a, under the cloud, dark cloud of, of yeah. COVID. So, because, you know, basically we're, we're expecting, in France, uh, 450,000, you know, foreign visitors. Okay. 
uh, to watch 48 matches and it will bring about 1.2 uh, billion wow. you know, um, to the to the French economy. Wow. So yes, yeah. So not long, three years to go. Uh, I'm not sure whether Nigel Owen will be there to officiate uh, the, yeah, <laughs> the final. Yeah, I think he'd have hung up his boots. So I think he'd be full time farming. And 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 interesting. We were going to touch briefly on on European news, the Heineken Champions Cup and the Challenge Cup. Nigel Owens will be referee. Uh, in the final at Bristol in a couple of weeks' time, hopefully, if if Racing get their um, COVID situation sorted out, you know, in- incredible, incredible career Nigel's had. It's his seventh Champions Cup final and his hundred fifteenth match in Europe. I mean, that's quite a staggering statistic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It is. So you will be there to share Well, there again, I hope so. I've applied for accreditation, but there again, you know, it's... Uh, and, of course, just uh, in the other final, it's... Um, I'm trying to think of it. It's Bristol and Toulon, isn't it? That's right. And uh, Andrew Brace of Ireland uh, will be refereeing that one. What's your expectation? What do you think was going to win? I know it's in two weeks' times, but... I think it's going to be a tough... I mean, Exeter... It's, all, it's not far off a home game for Exeter. It's only just across the Bristol Channel. So um, if it was being played in France, I'd fancy Racing. I think the proximity of, of being in Exeter and, you know, Exeter are so good at grinding out wins. Uh, I fancy Exeter, but I would love to see Racing do it because I just love the way Racing play. And they've had such bad luck in, oh, I say bad luck, they've got to so many semi-finals. They've always been the bridesmaid and, and never the bride. And really, whoever wins it, it'll be a new name on the trophy. But if I could choose, I'd like Racing to win it. I think it's about time that Racing, you know, wins the this elusive uh, yeah. uh, European Cup because you know that would be the third time they would play in a, in a final. First time was in 2016 against Saracens. I know I was there. I was cheering for Saracens <laughs> in black and white. Uh, second time was against Leinster, and now you know it's against Exeter. So I think third time lucky. You know, I'm thinking, keeping my finger crossed. And regarding Toulon versus Bristol, I have the feeling Bristol yeah, is going to bag it. I think so. I think I think I haven't been hugely impressed with Toulon, and and Bristol have been so good. Yeah, I fancy Bristol for that one. Yes. So we'll see. Time. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Time. Milestone, you mentioned the milestone of your uh, rugby friends, uh, Nigel, Nigel Owens. Yeah, yeah. I've got one for you. Jesslyn Colby has been voted player of the month, which is not a big surprise. <laughs> yeah, what a great player he is, isn't he? And yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a joy to, to, to see him in, in playing. So, Mike, on this week's podcast, I've had the opportunity to speak with a great guy called Anthony Hill, who is a former number eight who played for Australian Rugby Union Club Randwick. And in 1994, he moved to Narbonne and played there for a while before moving on to Pau and Béziers. And five years ago, he received a phone call from uh, Michael Cheka, inviting him to be part of his coaching staff as an international talent manager for the Wallabies. And uh, yes, on this podcast, he's, uh, he will uh, reminiscing about his time playing uh, in Australia and in France, in uh, Narbonne, and how much you know the rugby has involved over the last uh, 25 years. I hope you will really enjoy it. Hey, bonjour. I'm so happy today to be able to speak with uh, Anthony Hill. <laughs> I have to pronounce the H properly because French people never pronounce the H. And... Uh, uh, Anthony had a wonderful rugby rugby life. He started well. Actually, tell me more about yourself, Anthony. Um, hello. Um, yeah, I started playing rugby at a very young age in a place in Sydney, which is not very rugby. It's actually more rugby league uh, in the western suburbs of Sydney, and then moved across to to Randwick to play my to start my senior career. 
Brunwick, I heard about that uh, that club. It's very well known. He, he bred some um, some really good uh, rugby players. Yeah, it's been a great uh, a great club, providing lots of plays for the Wallabies uh, and other international teams for the past. Oh, yeah, I want to say a been... hundred years. I'm not sure even how old the club is, but even today they've they've always seemed to have a few players sneaking into the Wallaby setup. I believe that Drew Mitchell, Matt Gitto, David Campese, and who else you know from your oh, from lots era? Of, there's, there's been literally hundreds of guys like Simon Poitivan, who was one of the great Australian Wallabies, um, George Gregan. Uh, oh, jeez, I can't even think of anyone off, off, off the top of my hat, but there's, 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 there's been lots of talk of a Ramwick Mafia coming through uh, representing the Wallabies for since, since I've been playing rugby. And they've also presided a lot of, lot of coaching staff as well from Mike, Michael Checker, Eddie Jones, uh, Bob Dwyer, um, Alan Gaffney, who coached in Saracens for a while, coached Munster, coached, coached the Wallabies as well. So they've definitely made uh, Ewan McKenzie, who also coached Australia. So it's probably, I think, in the last uh, five or six coaching uh, coaches of, of the Wallabies, there's probably only been two that haven't coached or played for Randwick, actually. How do you explain that success? I, I don't know, actually. I think it probably just drew a lot of people over that way um, that wanted to be successful. I, I went there because I wanted to see uh, how far I could go in rugby, and I thought if I could play there, I could uh, I could go on and maybe one day uh, be prof- a professional player. And uh, in your younger days, why did you choose rugby instead of other sports? Uh, I, I didn't really choose rugby. My... Uh, my older brother was dropped off to a training session uh, and my my father actually thought it was a rugby league team and and then said, oh, well, you've started then, so now you can stay. And, and then uh, I just followed my brothers and played and then really enjoyed it and really enjoyed the actual difference of playing rugby instead of rugby league uh, in a very rugby league area. I see. And what happened to you in 1994? Uh, well, actually, it was 96 when I moved over here. <clears throat> I, uh, yeah, I, I just, where, where, well, where is here? I'll tell you, in France. Oh, in France, in Narbonne. I moved here in 96. But I, it was actually quite funny. I, I was playing for Randwick. <clears throat> Michael Checker was, um, and David Knox used to, used to go across and play in Italy and France and, and, and sort of come back with all the, the new Fandangle rugby kit and stuff with the bags with wheels on it and all that sort of stuff. I thought, geez, that looks so good and interesting. And um, lucky enough, uh, Bob Dwyer, who has, has got a really great world connection in rugby, he uh, he helped me get a, get a club over here and that was sort of the year coming into professional rugby, so no one was that interested <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry, in coming over. At that period, so I, I got in early, and then rugby really went fully blown uh, professional the year after that. And every man and his dog from Australia really wanted to come over, so it was actually quite funny. I was very lucky to get in early. Very good, mm. very good. And uh, uh, what was your first impression of uh, French rugby when you started playing there? And which club was it? So it was, it was actually in Narbonne. It was, it was quite funny. I was working um, for a company in Sydney and uh, we had a French guy uh, playing with us who I was actually still in contact with in uh, Randwick, um, a very French name, Jacques. And uh, he, his <laughs> brother used to send over cassettes of games. So I was lucky enough to see a couple of games just before I left. It was Toulouse-Narbonne uh, quarterfinal in Tarbes. And, uh, and the, mm-hmm. the biggest impression was was a player named Francis Dijon elbowing uh, the Toulouse halfback in the face, and which would have been a, a life suspension in Australia, I think, <laughs> back back then. And uh, there was no penalty given or nothing happened. And I thought, oh my god, this is uh, this is going to be a hard a hard time when I get over there. And actually, a, a very famous and uh, player in Randwick named um, Tim Carver. It was a bit of a hard man, and he, when he found out I was going, he said to me, "Geez, I hope you're, I hope you're getting a million dollars to go over there. You must be crazy." So, so it was actually a great, a great start. So, are you saying that the French rugby didn't really follow the rules? 
Uh, no, it was just a bit uh, a bit different. <laughs> I think Australian rugby definitely back then is a very private school, um, well-behaved, uh, very, very hard, very rude. But, like, there wasn't many cheap shots, that sort of stuff. And then coming to, to France that period, um, it was at the end. I, I won't say it was the worst period of, of French rugby, but it was definitely – there were a lot less cameras and uh, the touch judges couldn't really intervene then, so it was a bit different. I see. So, no, it was, there wasn't that much flair at that stage. Oh, no, the flair was definitely there. The, the, no, the flair was definitely there. It was just through the backs. And, and not with the forwards. So there's a real big division between who uh, who was playing the forwards and weren't really allowed to touch the ball. And uh, and obviously coming to Narbonne, which which was really had produced some great backs as well. So and uh, which um, other famous rugby players from Australia or from France did you play against in that in that era? Um, well. All those sort of, that sort of era, I suppose, um, during the championship over there, and then obviously um, running into them more over here. I'd say really guys like Michael Liner and stuff at Saracens, and as I said, when I came over in '96, it was sort of the beginning of, of a big flurry of Australian players who came over. Daniel Herbert, who was a who was a great Wallaby, you know, guys like that. Um, offhand, I, there's literally. Tens of of wallabies that uh, that came and played in the in the European competition just over that period uh, over that fifteen uh, year period. And there was another famous wallaby that came to play for Racing uh, Metro at that stage, Brett Gosper, who is now the CEO yeah. of uh, World Rugby. Yeah, well, Brett was quite funny, you know. He's uh, he's uh, Brett's an, uh, his name I heard for. Uh, you know, 20 years, Brett Gosper this, Brett Gosper that, Brett, you must know Brett, you must know Brett. But I, I'd, I'd never met Brett, obviously. He was, uh, I think he was from Brisbane maybe or originally. He left a bit earlier than me. He's a little bit older. But but uh, I actually got to meet Brett in 2015 at the World Cup working with the Wallabies and we had a dinner together, which was which was great to put a, a face to that name. And, he, yeah, he was great. And his French is as good as yours because uh, we'll see whether we can speak a little bit of French <laughs> at the end of the interview. You picked up very much the southwestern accent of Narbonne, yeah. so it's uh, well, you feel you some. I bet that people think you are more French than than Australian now. But having said that, you have kept your Australian mm, accent since as well. Yeah, I would uh, be it would be a very sad day if I lost my Australian accent. I think, but I I've been lucky enough the last five years to go back a lot, so. I, uh, I had no chance of losing my Australian accent, but then, <laughs> and I'm sure my accent with Brett Gosper's accent, I'm very, very different. He's he's he played all his rugby in Paris, so I'm sure he's got a beautiful French accent. <laughs> beautiful Parisian yes. accent. I'm not so sure about that. Time, <laughs> so I think that uh, the international talent manager. So, who did you uh, recruit? Who did you bring on on board in the in the Wallabies? So yeah. Um, so what happened was. Uh, during that, so obviously following the, the creation of uh, that position, um, the the Australian rugby decided to change a bit of the laws. So up until that time, uh, they couldn't select the players playing overseas. And um, consequently, they made, which is now known as the Matt Guido law, and Matt Guido came back and played for Australia and at the same time came back with Drew Mitchell and then followed up a few other guys uh, that came under that law, Adam Ashley Cooper um, and a few others. With Eugenia, who was playing in Stade Francais afterwards. Not at the same time, the same year, but following on after that. Because they, they'd actually signed, when Michael signed with Australia in 2014, uh, Adam Ashley Cooper and with Eugenia had already signed. So um, you work with Michael Checker. How is it to, to work with, with him? Uh, fantastic. I, uh, I, I've built a really good relationship with Michael. He's uh, he's a very loyal person, which is which is great to find these days. Um, I was lucky enough. I played with Michael in in the early nineties in Australia, and then we sort of just kept in contact. Probably the fact that I he the fact that he travelled a lot still in Europe, so we caught up. And then when he was coaching and stuff in Leinster, and then in Stade Francais, we obviously. Um, Build our relationship, and um, 
obviously spoke about player recruitment and stuff like that over those years. Yeah, great, really fantastic experience. Great guy on and off the field, and uh, it's always good to meet someone that's not just one hundred percent rugby. You always had other things going and come working in different industries and stuff like that. Yes, yeah, it, you, you need to have that uh, that balance as well on top of uh, playing rugby. And you know, Eddie Jones, I believe as well, because you were saying that you play. Or uh, Eddie was a coach at uh, Randwick as well. Yeah, I, I, I know Eddie. I would. I'm not. I wouldn't say I was close to Eddie at all, but we uh, we've definitely come across each other over the years with rugby and stuff. I think his uh, daughter is actually the. Um, the Wallaby manager, Wallaby, one of the one of the Wallaby team managers. So we uh, were touring together for the last few years, and uh, yeah, she actually worked around week as well. But Eddie, Eddie played, had a very long rugby career, and was very lucky not to be an international player himself. And then uh, was probably, I would say, one of Australia's founding professional um, coaches. He really took um, coaching to a different level in Australia when he took over the Brumbies and and really turned it into a professional game. And then he had to spell at Saracens, as you know, mm. and uh, Japan. And uh, yeah, and the rest is history. <laughs> and I is very busy preparing the, the guys for the Autumn International. How much has rugby changed in France in the last 25 years, would you say? I think well, rugby's obviously changed around the world, but uh, in France, obviously, obviously with the massive injection of cash, that uh, it would change anything. So when you have the TV on board and it's, you know, you've got a game on every, every game's televised and you, you're trying to appeal to a different audience and it all basically becomes around the audience. So obviously the, the game's changed and uh, they've had to adapt to that audience. So rugby, rugby now is definitely not the elbows in faces and stamping on faces that... <laughs> That it was years ago, and rugby in France now is a, is uh, is a lot of beautiful men running around the field, isn't it? Kind of depends mm. who. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely, I, I think I think that's definitely a criteria that changed in rugby, even in rugby selection. Where I think yeah, yeah. rugby was more about being a rugby player than being an athlete back in the day, and then these days I think they just pick athletes first and then turn them into rugby players. I think so as well. And uh, uh, do they still produce the Lady du Stade calendar in France? By the way, maybe uh, you can tell me more I've for our ladies or listeners. Yeah, personally, I've never bought one, so I, I, I couldn't <laughs> tell you. But uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure they do. I, I remember that really came out uh, when I was when I was was a player. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I was never invited to. Uh, <laughs> To be in the photos, but uh, oh, what a shame! Yeah, you know, well, it's never, it's never, they, never too late. Maybe <clears> they could produce, you know, the <clears throat> les, les vieux dieux du yeah, calendar, sort of, the old gods yes. of calendar <laughs> with you, Eddie Jones, yeah. and all uh, the well, former players. I, I think, I, I think Eddie's in good enough condition, but I don't think the beer gut calendar will ever come out. So <laughs> maybe it's an idea. Maybe, maybe, maybe it'll work. <laughs> that would be fun. Um, so, what do you think? Uh, the chances are for France to win the World Cup in 2023? The, uh, well, the French are always dangerous in every World Cup. Um, they've definitely got the, the players. Like it's compared to any other to any other country, rugby nation, it's just amazing. They've got 30 professional teams. So, you know, you've got 30, 30 times 30 guys training um, like twice a day, five, six days a week. So you've definitely got that massive players to choose from. And obviously they've got um, – they, they bring in a lot of players very young these days from other nations. So they've really got the cream of world rugby. Uh, I, I like what they're doing with the French team at the moment. I'm a big fan of uh, Laurent Labitte who, who came into the French coaching squad last year with um, mm-hmm. Fabien Galtier. Um, Laurent's – just been successful in whatever he does so I'm sure he'll bring that to the table with the French team and you know well, I suppose we'll see next week or in the next couple of weeks coming up when they, they finish off these um, these Six Nation games that are coming up Yes, yeah, that's and uh, you've got a big ambition, you know, so I think it's a new new squad altogether very young squad, the average age 
of players is 24 years old mm. and the average uh, number of selection as well is about 13, so very young, but very hungry and uh, easier to mold, I suppose, into the, 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 the French way. But yeah, it's, uh, it's looking good. It's looking good after having a few, a few uh, uh, mediocre uh, years in the I, past. I think that all the nations uh, now, which is quite funny, and that's been a really big change in international rugby, it seems as though everyone has a four-year plan about the World Cup. So these years, these these first years just after World Cup always seem to be very, very young teams coming in, you know, very young players, uh, not very experienced. So, so most nations are, are, are selecting a squad that they think that they might be able to take through to the World Cup already, which is quite a quite a... Quite a, it never turns out that way, but um, seems to be the way that people are doing it these days. And what are the chances for the Wallabies? You think? Um, yeah, well, they've got a they've had they've had a really good results in the under twenties competition, like the French. So the French have won two, um, and then the last under twenties World Cup, uh, they beat Australia in the final. So you know, I think yeah, that there's a lot of talent, like a lot of talent coming through in Australian rugby. There's, it's a hard time for Australian rugby because again, coming back to the, the real issue in professional sport these days is money, and Australian rugby at the moment haven't signed their new TV deal. So until they get that, they've got uh, a lot of competition with the the rugby league in Australia, and uh, Australian football. So a lot of the good athletes are going to chase money at an early age. And I think that um, uh, they needed that the Wallabies need to win to encourage, you know, young athletes to want to play rugby for Australia. Mm-hmm. Okay, I understand. So uh, it's yeah, it it, it happens in, in 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 every every sport. Who are the key figures in Australian rugby? Would you say the now? players? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's, it's pretty much the, the the one guy for me who. Uh, who is a very impressive on the field, off the field guy is, is uh, Hooper, Michael Hooper, who's the captain of the Wallabies. Um, you know, I think he's he's probably one game or two games off his 100 tests uh, when they start this weekend. So he's definitely someone. He's young enough to, to take him through to the next World Cup. So I think he he's the, the, uh, the, the key player for them. Um, I think that, you know, with a lot of the young guys coming through there, if he can, if they can learn off him, his mentality and his work mentality, I think that the Wallabies will go well. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So we mentioned that we, um, uh, you've been living in France, you know, for the last uh, what, nearly twenty-four mm-hmm. years exactly. now. Uh, you are more French, you know. If people can hear you speaking, you know, uh, in French, you sound like uh, somebody from Narbonne. They call you Ili, as if So, what, what's the now since you you left, you know, the um, the coaching staff from from Shekas, You know, what's what's uh, what is life for you now? Um, my well, I just stopped in the thirty first of December. So during this whole period when I stopped playing rugby and then stopped, I started a little bit of coaching and then I actually became president of Melbourne Rugby Club for a few years and was involved in a different rugby club on the administration side. I always just bought restaurants and bars so with another Australian friend of mine that came over here, Craig McMullen, we uh, we sort of sort of ran those from a distance and now so the last, since COVID started, we uh, we started actually working in the, in the bars so I would say now I'm a restaurateur. And what is it called? What's the cool place? Uh, I've got a few. So there's the uh, Macar, uh, the 89. I've just invested in another one. It's called the Petit Contour, which is a, more like a semi-gastro, which is uh, which is a very nice restaurant, actually. So any any rugby memorabilia? No, no, no. <laughs> no not at all, really. No. Uh, the first bar I did, when I, when I, my first one I bought was in 2001. So that was more rugby-based. And then slowly, I just got away from that. But um, you know, the ne- never know. The next one might be might be a, a full rugby bar. Who knows? It's not something I'm definitely. It's not something I'm ashamed of. It's given me a a fantastic network and a fantastic life. So it's not. Ne- I'll, I'll yes. never hide from that rugby thing. 
and it changed your life, you know, having that uh, that oh. life, you know, so a small guy from, uh, not that small because you are quite tall, <laughs> <laughs> you know, from the suburb of Sydney all the way to Narbonne, then you played for Bézier, for Pau, uh, and then you had some management roles in, um, in, in Nice, I believe, mm. and then you ended up in... Um, uh, playing, you know, I mean, being part of the coaching staff uh, of uh, of Michael of uh, Michael Cheka, mm. you know, uh, like, so, like, yeah. so it's amazing. Yeah, well, no, it was, it was a great adventure. I've, I've always been lucky though with like Bob Dwyer. He's the person that, that really got me over here so many years ago, and and um, you know, running off the back of Bob Dwyer has always been giving me a really a really great um, leg up uh, in networking yeah, and stuff. So. You know, like you know, as as you said, rugby uh, it really, really changed my life. You know, completely. It does for a lot of people. And on that note, you know, it's been lovely to speak with you. Uh, I've really, really enjoyed it. Uh, wish you all the best. Thank you very much. And uh, bon bon chance. Uh, can you say a few words in French uh, for me? Maybe, maybe if you tell me what you are going to do for the rest of the bon day. Bon chance. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know you. I'm going to take it easy, but yeah, yeah, because it's uh, it's quite difficult. Yeah, well, if the sun's out, I'll have a busy day at the restaurant, and if it's not, I'll have a quiet day drinking coffee. So there we go. That's the plan for the plan of the day. Moi, je viens de Narbonne. Ici, le Nord, c'est Carcassonne. Ici, c'est l'art de boire une bouteille dans un bon bain de soleil. Si la culture, c'est le rugby, c'est ça notre hobby, c'est ça notre religion, ouais, c'est ça notre vocation. So that, that, that leads us nicely to, um, to the top 14. So third day of the weekend, journée numéro 3, third day, as we call it in France, of the top 14 championship. So you know what? It's, it was more a top 10 weekend yeah, yeah, than a top yeah. 14 yeah. because, as you know, two games were postponed because of COVID. So the game um, between La Rochelle and Racing and Castle against Montpellier was postponed for uh, an, another date. Um, one that was pushed to the Monday was the um, toulouse uh, was it? No, it was the Bordeaux. The Bordeaux, Bordeaux. yeah, Leon Bordeaux. Yeah, Leon Bordeaux. That was that was played on on Monday. So um, uh, all teams, you know, won at home except for Stade Français, which was a big big surprise because uh, nobody yeah, thought exactly. I mean, Aviron would uh, Aviron Bayonne, you know, would would win. They're having a tremendous start, aren't they? They've beaten Clermont, and you know, they're annually sort of uh, relegation candidates aren't they but I mean they're at the moment in six in the table and I mean a win in Paris um Getan Germain actually scored 21 points out of the 26 and uh Bayonne leading 13-6 at half time a fabulous win and you, know, you can imagine them down in the Basque country there they're gonna gonna absolutely love that yes uh you know, it has been 10 years since the last one at Stade Jean Bois. Wow. So, what a victory to celebrate. Absolutely. Having lots of beers and, uh, <laughs> and saucisson, yeah. uh, jambon de Bayonne. On, Absolutely. On the way back, yeah. Or on the plane back, I suppose. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's positive. But uh, the, the feedback, obviously, from Stade Francais coach, you know, was quite, uh, it, it wasn't too, too amusing. Yeah, I can so imagine. Say, you know, yeah. Oh, we uh, yeah, we we got over. We were overplayed by by Bayonne. Their defense was really really strong. Uh, and next week they would meet uh, Agen. Another game that was absolutely fantastic, epic. <laughs> it was the game on Friday uh, between Brive versus Pau, Section Paloise. As you know, I had a delightful conversation with the president of uh, Brive. Um, Simon Gillard yeah. um, last week during our podcast uh, and you know it was he, he, they, they were prepared uh, mentally physically for the game but what a game what a game oh what a game <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, you know, 
Poe were, were doing so well, weren't they? Unbeaten in their first two games. So, um, yeah, a, a good victory for Brief. And, of course, I think this week their game at Castro is almost certainly in doubt because Castro have announced they've got 11 COVID cases at the moment. So um, that doesn't sound too promising, does it? It doesn't look very positive, but uh, to come back, you know, to that match on in uh, in Stade Amédée, you know, the, it was horrendous weather. Was it? it was windy. It was raining. Alex, you know, the hurricane just oh, yes, yes. was yeah. was was on high speed. It was and it was a déjà vu for uh, for for Brive um, and for Paul because they met, I think, on the twenty fourth of January and. Paul Section Palois lost against Brive, so it was very much, you know, they, they wanted to put things right and beat <laughs> beat Brive, but yeah. uh, it, it didn't happen, you know. Uh, it, it started really, really well, uh, and then, you know, uh, two yellow cards, not, not two yellow cards, two red cards were, were issued to two players in Brive, one to, um, to Section Palois, and it was a case of, you know, having, you know, at first it was 15 men against 14 men, mm. then 13 men against 14. I have to pay credit, you know, to the wonderful captain, Saeed Aresh, who was very much a pinch of this, of the team. He reminded me a little bit of Brad Barrett, okay. who sadly retired. Yeah, this week, yeah, getting, for me, you know, it was a, a, a game. Of, I, I wasn't, you know, when I, when obviously when they received the two red cards, oh, here it goes, mm. you know, that's that's the end of the game. But no, they they stuck to it, yeah. you know, they hang in there. And uh, the, the the feedback from Saeed during the press conference was, you know, we could have scrambled, um, we could have taken forty points, but instead, you know, they remained calm and serene, and it was very very important, you know, for for them. And uh, they work, you know, with their guts yeah. and their head, and probably with their heart. I think their heart was there somewhere because they wanted to. Uh, they are so they, they work so so well as a team. You know, you can see there is very a strong strong mm-hmm. there. So chapeau, chapeau Absolutely. to, to Brive, and uh, I hope they can play the game against yeah. Cast, but maybe on Monday or Tuesday, if not, you yeah. know, uh, another time. So, well, I'll tell you what, um, um, Claremont, uh, they played Agen and, and they won pretty pretty easily. I think 31-12. Veradam, we got a try in the fourth minute. And then Barak got a try. There was a penalty try. Fritz Lee got a try. And really, they were outside at half-time, 24-7. Uh, you know, Claremont happy to get back on winning ways because the previous weekend they lost uh, to, to Bayonne. So... Um, you know, normal service has been resumed at the start, uh, Michelin. But for for me, yes. the, the the match I would love to have seen at the weekend was was Toulouse against Toulon, and you you had a you got some good stuff on that, haven't you? Yes, you know, that was yeah, that was the the game of the weekend, and uh, Toulouse hasn't lost at home, you know, in the last twenty four games. Yeah, I think they drew, however. During on my birthday, 29th of December 2019. Okay, <laughs> I remember wow. that because it was my my birthday, my 20, 21st birthday oh, yeah. again. <laughs> Plus and, the 18. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not quite, nearly actually. And they were, you know, they, they were defeated the previous the previous week in the quarterfinal in the Highland came Cup, and uh, whereas you know the other way. For Toulon, you know, they bagged themselves a final against Bristol yeah. in the Challenge Cup. So you had a winner, a loser between bracket versus a winner. Yeah. And uh, my goodness, uh, that was a very much it was a try fest. You know, it was three tries scored from Toulouse. There's three more, uh, but they were they were not they were disallowed. Uh, Toulouse really was like a snake. You know, they completely strangled. Toulon um, in the first half. Colazzo must have been absolutely fuming during halftime. Colazzo is the coach yeah, yeah. of Toulon. Uh, but, you know, we mustn't forget that Toulon had lots of injured players as well, such as Bello, Paris. So it was quite an inexperienced team. However, some, some players did show, uh, show some progress you know, in the second yeah. half, but it was a little bit too late. Yeah. Um, too late. Hey, well, look, yes. before I have my French lesson, I'll just quickly 
yep. run through the, the schedule fixtures for the weekend. R- Racing, yes. home to Toulouse, but that's obviously doubtful. Bordeaux, Begler, home to Clermont. Poe at home to Lyon. Agen, home to Stade Francais. Toulon entertain Montpellier. And as we mentioned, the Castro-Brieve game is in doubt because of COVID. And then Bayonne at home to La Rochelle. So, um, you know, another another fascinating week. Indeed. And because, you know, that, that week was a bit uh, uh, different from the others. You know, there was a game on the 5th of October. This week, Lyon versus Bordeaux. And man, Bordeaux was hungry yeah, yeah. for it. You know, they needed some points after two defeats. And uh, from from the start, you know, they they scored um, five penalties thanks to Leo Bardeux. Uh, Bordeaux did show some yeah, some discipline yeah. uh, at the press conference. Christophe Urios was very very disappointed. You know, he called the spade a spade and said, you know, you know what? I'm not going to uh, review the. Um, I'm not going to analyze the game. You know, they have to play with their guts. Yeah. You know, it is if they want to play, they can play. You know, it's it's really up to them. It was very much a, a laissez-faire. Yeah. But uh, I think bad, that's bad day, bad day at the bureau. <laughs> it was yeah, bad day, mauvais, mauvais, bad day in the office, as we say in English. Yeah, mauvais, say, like, mauvais jour au bureau. Friend, see, the French but we don't say that in, in French. That, bureau, you know, it's just sort of comes naturally. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm yeah. waiting for my French lessons. Okay, so easy one. Which position does Antoine Dupont play in French? Well, I think I'm not sure if I got this right. I know, I know the two words. It's not whether I got them in the right order, is it? Demi de Melee. Yeah, you got it. So it's joke yes. time. Joke time. I got a great one, but you go first. A prop goes to the physio and says, it hurts when I touch my arm, my chest and my leg. The physio says, you've broken your finger. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Okay. Okay. This is one for you. What is the greatest year in French rugby history? Ha, 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 ha. I know that what? one. L'année prochaine, yeah. next year. <laughs> well, on that note, I'm going to let you go because it can't get Absolutely. Hey, you have a lovely, and week, you. a lovely week, you know, and all our listeners. And uh, yeah, yeah don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and uh, leave us uh, your feedback. Au revoir. Yeah, au Quand notre cœur fait boum, tout avec lui dit boum, et c'est l'amour.